Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. We begin with a conversation from Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2019 Christian Product Expo International Event in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Linda Rooks has experienced the pain of a broken marriage as well as its restoration with God's help. You'll hear part of the story of reconciliation ahead. Plus, Lisa Daggs is a Christian musical artist who has experienced the brokenness of drugs and alcohol, but has been clean for some 30 years. She testifies to the grace of God in her life. You'll be hearing from her coming up. And as we think together about God working in the lives of people, we know that prayer is such an important part of drawing close to God and experiencing His faithfulness. Julia Jeffress Sadler, whose story of triplets who came perilously close to not surviving was featured on a TLC program, talks about the power of prayer. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, from the 2019 Christian Product Expo International Event in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, some words about Christian hospitality. Nikki Corinne White stopped by to talk about the opportunities that believers have to minister to others, sometimes in simple ways. Finally, a report on a hearing before the U.S. Supreme Court from Kate Anderson of Alliance Defending Freedom, who discussed the oral arguments in a collection of cases in which the main issue was whether or not the concept of sex in civil rights law should be broadened to include gender identity and sexual orientation. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. At the 2019 CPE International Event in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, I spoke with Linda Rooks, who experienced not only a marriage in decline, but God's hand in repair, which she details in her book, Fighting for Your Marriage While Separated, A Practical Guide for the Brokenhearted. She shared with me about her experience, including the restoration that the Lord brought about for her and her husband. From that conversation, here is Linda Rooks. Well, I wish I could say I did have a strategy. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't really know yeah. what to do, um, except that um, I did meet with a couple of friends at various times who gave me some very good advice. And this is one very important thing, of course, is to have support, have have people who can support you. And I immediately reached out to find friends who could support me, who believed in marriage, who wanted um, to help me, you know, get my marriage back together so it wouldn't have a divorce. And um, one of the people that I met with said, and of course, when we got together, I was talking about all the things going on, you know, I was just totally, totally obsessed with what was happening. And, and she said, Linda, put him on the back burner and focus on God and let God show you what he wants to show you. And that was really important, and that was major. That was a major part of it, um, just really um, focusing on God. And when I did that, you know, God started showing me the things that I needed to do. That made a difference. And another friend uh, that I got together with, um, too, this was really early in the separation, only a couple weeks afterwards, um, and I was uh, still very upset, and she made a comment that really impacted me. And she said, um, she said, call him up and tell him to take a year. And, and I said, what? And she said, he's confused, Linda. He said, she said, just tell him to take a year. What's a year in a whole lifetime? What if he takes a year and he figures things out and you get back together and you have 50 or, or 20 years happy after that? And I thought, well, yeah. 
that would be good. And so that's what we did. And um, I, did, I didn't tell him exactly what to do, but I did start giving him time. And mm. so, and so um, that was one of the things that really made a difference. That's it awesome. Really so as we conclude our conversation, obviously there's a happy ending oh, to yes. this story. God has put things back together between you and your husband. So what did you see God do in really bringing about this reconciliation? Well, one of the big things he did is to show me the things that I needed to do. And and it took a whole year for me to realize that I had a part in it, you know, that some of it was my fault. So when he started, when I started seeing my part in it and started making changes, and one thing that's very important is starting to be positive. Started, and I didn't, I didn't criticize him. I didn't say negative things. I started really saying positive things to him to encourage him and give us a safe uh, environment for us to be in together. And that really made a difference. And so I would say that safety, helping him to feel safe with me again, and and he started making some changes. He really had an encounter with the Lord mm. again. But giving him the time, I mean, it was three years. And so giving him that time for God to work, because the thing is there's something happening that God needs to iron out in our lives. Mm. And when you when you can give him the time to do it, you know, there is a very good chance that things can work out between two people, even if only one of them really wants that to happen. Linda Rooks here on this edition of The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website fightingforyourmarriage.net. Next up, it's Christian musical artist and author Lisa Daggs, who shared about how God has worked in her life and set her free from drug and alcohol addiction, about which she relates in her biographical book, No Turning Back Regardless, How God Rescued Me, Redeemed Me, and Restored My Heart with a Song. From that recent conversation, this is Lisa Daggs. Coming home, we having a big celebration where they normally had 40 people, and there were over 750 people there celebrating um, the release of Forgiveness is a Powerful Thing CD, the one that came out before Regardless. Um, I, I wrote that song, Forgiveness is a Powerful Thing, before I knew what my husband was doing. And uh, what a way <laughs> for God to put that into play in my life and show me how I'm supposed to forgive, mm. even though. So I'm standing in my living room. My mom had stroked out on my kitchen floor. My, my, my daughter was eight at the time, and I had her at, at a Christian school that was quite costly. Our house payment was 3000 a month. Um, I had a motor home that was 1000 a month, um, full diesel that we traveled in. Um, and I stood in the living room of my house. My parents, I said, uh, I think I'll let you know, they divorced when I was 10. And it was like the greatest hero walked out of my life, but I didn't even know my dad, really. I didn't really have a relationship with him when, when I was younger. Um, I don't ever remember being cuddled or held or he had six restaurants. He was a businessman and I was always longing for daddy's love, you know, kind of a thing. So divorce was the scariest thing. And we had promised each other my parents divorced when I was 10 and, and my daughter's dad, his parents divorced when he was nine. So we made that commitment meeting in church that we would never divorce, you know. So all this had happened, uh, the exposure of everything. My mom, whom 
I love with my whole heart uh, was in a um, recovery center. And I stood in my living room and just said, God, I don't understand. You foreknew, you foreknew this would happen. And you allowed me to marry this person. You allowed this to happen. I don't understand. I said, I bet no matter what the terrain looks like in my life from here forward, no matter how I'm overlooked in the music industry, everything's been pretty grassroots since I've started, Bob. So however I'm overlooked, it doesn't matter. There's no turning back. I'm going to serve you Mm. regardless, regardless. I was in tears. I'm just like, I don't know what else to do. You know, what do I have to turn back to? I'm going forward. You can either at that point in your life, people, you can either shrink back in the corner and collapse and die. And then the the enemy wins because you're, you're ineffective. That's all he wants us to become is ineffective or dead. And, or you can get up. And as hard as it is, you put one foot in front of the other and you finish the race. And so I was like, you know, I didn't use, I didn't drink because he would have won. You know, it's like, you can't take my sobriety from me. You can't, you can't take my salvation from me. I'm going to lose the house. I'm losing the marriage. I may lose my ministry. But you can't take my sobriety and my salvation unless I give it up. And I'm like, I'm following you, and I'm not turning back regardless. Mm. I didn't. He just dropped that word into my heart, regardless. And so I went back and I wrote the song with, with a great songwriter friend of mine, James Bubba Hudson, who was pr- a producer on um, – on the forgiveness CD. And also um, I co-produced with him on the regardless CD, but we wrote the song regardless. And if I had known a long time ago where I'd be right now, living this dream, serving a King and knowing, I don't know how to carry this weight that I do today. Yeah. Anyone can see that it's not me. It's learning to believe it's closing my eyes to see it's knowing where I will be through the fire, through the hardness, even in total darkness, Hmm. I'm going to serve regardless. Lisa Daggs here on this edition of The Intersection. Find out more by going to lisadaggs.net. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's Julia Sadler, author of the book, Pray Big Things, The Surprising Life God Has for You When You're Bold Enough to Ask. She was featured along with her husband on the TLC program, Rattled, and she shared with me from her own experience about what she's learned regarding the power of prayer. Here now is Julia Sadler. Actually, about three years ago, my husband Ryan and I decided that we were not going to be embarrassed to ask God for anything. And that was the premise of what we decided was going to be, and it wasn't a book at a time, it was just New Year's Eve, and you feel the pressure to do something new, to really get your life going. There wasn't really anything especially wrong. We just wanted more out of our relationship with God. And so we decided that we were going to pray 20 things until they happened or until God said no. And on that list, we had always wanted three children. 
I it seems weird, but I really had just always had a strong affinity for twins. I thought that was so cool. And so <laughs> the only rule was we weren't going to be embarrassed. So that was on there. And we had a family member really struggling with a substance addiction. And so that was on there. But very, very specific things. And so the role for us is going to be specific and persistent. We're going to, this is what our life was going to be about until we got very clear answers from God. And then we started experiencing the miscarriages. And so it's, it was kind of impossible not to realize that we had just started this incredible prayer journey. And then immediately we're experiencing so much spiritual warfare and, the miscarriages coincided with enormous um, spiritual milestones. The first one, I had a hundred teenage girls in my backyard that I was teaching on how God has a purpose for their life that isn't contingent on anything in the future, and while at the same time losing our first child. And then the second one, we lost our second baby going into an enormous evangelism initiative where um, we actually had 135 people in Dallas witnessed to by teenagers. And that was something that our student ministry did that year. And then the last baby, we actually lost while I was speaking at a women's conference on why God allows suffering. And so it was just impossible not to see the correlation. And we had a choice. We had to decide, okay, are we going to keep going? Are we going to believe that God is who he says he is, that he knows what he's doing, that his ways are not our ways, or are we going to give up? And I remember feeling one time just so, I I felt like it seems weird, but I, I felt like the enemy was just mocking me. Like, are you going to keep going? Do you still love God? Do you still believe in all of this stuff that you believe since you were a child? And I remember having to take a definitive just stand, like in my heart, in my mind, that I don't care what happens. I believe God is good, and I believe Jesus is the way to heaven, and that is the way. That's what my life's about, no matter what happens to me. And so after after that period, we did go see a fertility doctor, but we started praying even more specifically for multiples, for three children, and for God to do more than anything we could hope or imagine. And then we got the news we were pregnant with triplets. So <sighs> as you said, um, we we thought, wow, what a great story. <laughs> like th- we lost three and God gave us three. And overnight we were thrust into this subculture of infertility. It's 6.1 million American women that struggle with infertility. And so in my book, Pray Big Things, I talk about what the balance is between prayer and action. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, aren't you playing God? Well, no, we're not that powerful to play God. But anyway, it gets all into that and how how you can come to that decision. But then, yes, at 22 weeks, I go into preterm labor and the neonatologist comes in and says, they're going to be born blind, deaf, with brain bleeds, or not survive at all. And that began just the scariest, but also, like, I've never felt so close to God. It was 49 days laying in a hospital bed, begging God to protect us and to protect our children, and He did. And the babies were born, and they survived. But through all that, through TLC, through everybody that has um, connected with our story, I changed the book that I had previously been contracted for and made it Pray Big Things because 
yes, God did a miracle in our life, and it's incredible, but he wants to do big things in everyone's life. Hmm. Julia Jeffress Sadler here on this edition of The Intersection. Her website address is juliajsadler.com. Well, this is The Intersection, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. At the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. The podcast is also available through the Media Center as well as iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the CPE International event in Tennessee. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Content from the Meeting House program can not only be found through the website, but also through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org or through a variety of podcast platforms. You can find out more through the Meeting House homepage. Continuing now with this edition of the Intersection podcast from the 2019 Christian Product Expo International in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Nikki Corinne White shared about the background and content of her book, It's Not About the Pie, A Fresh Look at Hospitality. Here now is Nikki Corinne White. You have stories and devotional thoughts and principles that you share in here. You also share recipes, and there are also some pictures that are part of the book. 200 pictures. 200 pictures in the book. So this is this is a unique <laughs> concept here. So tell me about the, you, you've touched on it just a bit, but tell me more about the inspiration behind it. Yeah, I, um, having grown up with a widowed mom a lot and having things break, like not having a refrigerator that worked for a while or mm. a stove that worked or even running water in the kitchen for a, a while, kind of wishing and praying as a new believer that someone would just stop by and help or fix something um, with my mom and two teenage girls, you know, uh, I just feel really burdened for widows or young moms or people that just need people to help them. And so this book, people are always telling me, because I open up my home a lot to different events and yep. having people over, so they're always saying, well, not everybody's gifted at hospitality, but I believe that God tells us we're all supposed to reach out to someone and help and welcome people into our home or reach out to our neighbor. And so this book shows by biblical examples um, how examples of how we should do that. So as you put together the content, let's see, you know, there's actually three different elements. You've really got, you've got the, the book, the writing itself, you've got the recipes and you've got the, the pictures as well. So as you put together what you wanted to communicate, what are some principles that came to mind that you really want people to, to glean from this book? That your home doesn't have to be perfect. And that's why mm. the title, it's not about the pie. It's not, you don't have to have the perfect home. I mean, I use an example in there where we were redoing our bathroom and we had a bathtub in our living room, but we still held our small group Bible study once a week with all these things stacked because, and you could have, we all have pride in like wanting to have the perfect spot for someone to be, but sometimes you just need to open your home and people don't really care. They just want to be welcomed and cared for and loved and 
shown that they're invited somewhere, and so it doesn't have you don't have to have the perfect dishes or you know any everything doesn't yeah. have to be perfect. Nikki White joining us today, CPE International coverage here at the Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central area in Nashville in the Murfreesboro, Tennessee area, CPE International 2019. Well, Nikki, let's talk just a bit about your own situation. As you mentioned, the inspiration for this book, It's Not About the Pie, really coming from what you have observed growing up where you were you were adopted. You had a, a situation where, for instance, if in, in your home, where if something broke down, what, what do people that are in that situation, maybe it's a, a single parent home or, or a situation where you've had extenuating circumstances, what general do, do people do? I think sometimes no one ever checks on them, but yeah. I, but I know that, uh, that we should, we should know each other well enough, get to know your neighbors well enough or friends or people within your church body to know that if there's something going on with them, we should reach out. Like someone who's a single mom, a young single mom, maybe she needs help and doing something so she could go to a doctor appointment or just needs a break or you need to take a meal to someone just because they're not because they've had surgery. I mean, that's important too, but just because they've just, they're overwrought with something going on in their life. And so I think we need to be continually thinking each week of who we can reach out to and who we can minister to. Nikki Corinne White here on this edition of The Intersection. Her website address is Nikki, that's N-I-C-K-I, Corinne, C-O-R-I-N-N-E dot com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Kate Anderson, Senior Counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom. She discussed with me recently oral arguments before the U.S. Supreme Court in three cases, one of which ADF is involved, the Harris Funeral Homes case, in which the use of the word sex in federal civil rights law was challenged in order to include gender identity and sexual orientation. Here now is Kate Anderson. Well, Americans should be able to rely on the law the way it is written, not the way unelected officials want to change the law later. And that's really the core question here. This all started with a funeral home. Uh, It's a fifth generation business that has been serving families in the Detroit area for over 100 years. Um, Harris Funeral Homes had hired a male funeral director who worked for them for about six years, um, working closely with grieving families. During that time, this individual abided by the professional dress code, uh, which required suits for men and dress suits for women. Um, That was all designed to help the grieving families be in a professional environment focused on their grief and nothing going on at the funeral home. Well, after this employee had worked for Harris Funeral Homes for about six years, this employee came to the owner and indicated that um, the employee wanted to start dressing as a woman and planned to do so while working with grieving families. The owner um, took about two weeks to consider this, how this would impact that particular employee other employees, the families they serve, and concluded that um, the funeral home just couldn't go along with that plan. As a result, they parted ways and uh, the employee filed a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC for short, um, alleging sex discrimination. Um, That moved forward, the federal government uh, eventually has changed its position um, and agrees with the funeral home on the dress code and on Uh, The issue that's at stake, which is whether sex in federal employment law means biological sex 
or whether it includes concepts like gender identity. Uh, the ACLU picked up the case and is continuing to push that, and that's what they were pushing at the Supreme Court just last week. Well, you mentioned the federal law involved here, and you go back and you look at the, if I'm if I'm saying this correctly, the civil rights law, the civil rights statute that is in question actually was was written back in the '60s, as I understand it, and so when they are referring to sex in federal law obviously gender gender identity and sexual orientation things of this sort were really not factors so it does seem to me that the courts and the EEOC are attempting to actually try to attribute to those that originally wrote the law some sort of of intent that wasn't there in the first place. You're absolutely right. Um, The law that we're talking about was passed in 1964, and it was passed um, particularly to protect women in employment, to make sure that women and men were treated equally and that men were not favored um, when it came to employment. And that's how it's tracked through for the last over 50 years. Um, And the way that we interpret statutes like that um, is to look at what the original public understanding of the terms in the statute um, were. And that's really all nine justices have um, have adhered to that principle, that the way we keep the laws consistent is to look at what they meant at the time that they were passed, um, which is what is so uh, somewhat absurd in this case is to think that in 1964 and for all this time since then, the term sex didn't mean biological sex. It meant gender identity, which is what the other side is pushing. Three cases, one of which ADF is defending. That is the Harris Funeral Homes case, a lawsuit that was filed by a former employee of the funeral home before the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. There were two other cases, again, dealing with this issue that you were just talking about, whereas the word sex, as it is used in federal law, is generally understood to mean gender male or female now you have those that would want to expand that to gender identity and sexual orientation and uh, apparently you've got some lower courts that had gone along with this concept correct yes there were actually um as you said three cases the other two cases were combined and dealt with the issue of whether sex meant sexual orientation or included the concept of sexual orientation Um, Our case involved whether sex includes the concept of gender identity. Um, And in two of the three cases, the lower courts had gone along with that theory, um, which is why it was so important for this court to take that up, because adding those terms to um, the law, effectively adding them, uh, causes significant problems for millions of Americans. Kate Anderson here on The Intersection. The Alliance Defending Freedom website is adflegal.org. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, you can go to meetinghouseonline.info or the programming section at faithradio.org. You can find a link to the Media Center where you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. The Intersection can be found through the Media Center as well. You can also subscribe via iTunes. Plus, there are links to two blogs. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And there's the three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. 
You can also follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, the website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. In that section, you can find out about downloading the Faith Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. Content from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of podcast platforms. Learn more when you visit the Meeting House homepage. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.